Over 200 years ago, on a Sunday in 1815, the people of England were eagerly anticipating news of the outcome of one of the most important battles of their time, the Battle of Waterloo, which was being fought in what is nowadays modern Belgium and pitted their own Duke Wellington along with a coalition against France's mighty Napoleon and his army. Finally, the news came. Not via text message or email, of course, so not quite as efficient as maybe today. As the signal was given, the message was communicated across the English Channel. The people of England were crushed. The message they received, Wellington defeated. There was a gloomy spirit over all of of England for that time, crushed at at their defeat and, and the implications of what that might bring. They felt defeated. Undoubtedly, that was how the disciples felt, the women in particular, as they arrived at that tomb on Easter Sunday. Now, even before that, if, if they hadn't arrived at the tomb, just the emotional roller coaster that they would have been on over the past week plus would have been more than most of us could probably bear, especially when you consider the stark contrast from how the week started out to how it ended up. Not only had they witnessed their beloved innocent Savior crucified as a criminal, but, but in such a stark contrast to the way that he was received as he entered into Jerusalem a week ago on Sunday, amidst crowds that were cheering and hosannas and palm branches waving. And then not even seven days later, they witnessed him hanging, dying on the cross. That would have been enough, and yet then, to make matters worse, they arrived at the tomb on that Easter Sunday, doing what they were were looking forward to doing. It was a way for them to be able to honor their Savior according to the custom to to ready his body for prepare, to prepare it for burial, something they couldn't do the previous day because of the Sabbath. And this was their way to honor, to serve, to express their love to their Jesus, the one who had touched their lives in a way that nobody else ever had and nobody, nobody else would. And then they arrived. They saw the stone in front of the tomb rolled away. They looked inside and it was empty. And Luke tells us in his gospel account that they were wondering about this. They were confused. They felt defeated which I think is probably a pretty good description for how every one of us has felt at some point over the last several years. Defeated. It doesn't matter what your views are on this, that, or the other thing. We've all experienced some of the same similar challenges. Who could have anticipated being told this is now how your child is going to learn in front of a screen rather than in person? Nobody checked with you first to see if that was okay. Your, your employer didn't say, are you all right with working from home? These things were forced on you. The circumstances of, of our world were turned upside down, and, and you probably, like me at times, felt 
totally out of control, as if your life was not even yours to live. Somebody else was determining what was the next step. And just as soon as you would adjust to one thing and say, all right, we'll deal with this, then another thing was thrown at you. And that lack of control, that feeling like somebody else is totally in charge and and doesn't care about our opinions or thoughts, that leaves us feeling defeated. Now, defeat can really be caused by a number of different emotions. There are two of them that are evident in our gospel account of the resurrection this morning that we're going to focus on. Not the, not, not the only exclusive ones that lead people to feel defeated, but two that are evident. Fear and skepticism. We see fear from the women as they arrived at the tomb. And just as a side note, so that's one of the reasons that you can't help but love Easter Sunday. In a world that will sometimes bash or be critical of Christianity or the Bible because it diminishes or downplays women, I think it's definitely worth noting that it wasn't the disciples, not the twelve that had followed Jesus, it wasn't his inner circle of Peter, James, and John who had, who had gotten to experience some special events with Jesus just by themselves. It wasn't any of them. It was women who were the first to arrive and witness the most significant event in all of human history. And when they got there, after what they experienced, they were afraid. And we totally understand why. Again, considering the roller coaster of emotions that they already had been experiencing, and then out of nowhere, angels appear to them. And this is how Luke tells us they responded. In verse 5 of of chapter 24, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. The men said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. They were terrified. These divine beings beaming brightly in front of them spoke to them. And and what would you do in that situation? Faced with that, but but dropped to the ground in fear. And who who could blame you? Now maybe you haven't experienced that degree of fear that you have just found yourself crippled, dropping right to the ground with your face buried in the dirt. But you've experienced fear these last several years for many of the same reasons that we already talked about. Is there another point during your lifetime that you've experienced unrest and and rioting and violence even in in our own city? Fear over, over a virus. Fear over a vaccine that is supposed to to stand against that virus. Fear over division in our country. Fear over politics, who's in charge. Fear continues still to this day. International fear in a day that we thought wars were past us. Now, was it a very real fear that somebody could push a button and start a a nuclear war? Economic fears. Fears over what our children are, are learning and being influenced in this world. We're no strangers to those kind of fear. We can relate to the way that the women felt as they dropped to the ground in fright. Maybe fear isn't really the one that leads you to feel defeated. Maybe for you it is skepticism. 
Skepticism was also evident on that Easter Sunday. Luke tells us what happened as the women then left the tomb and reported their news to the disciples. Picking it up with verse 9, When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Nonsense. Oh, first of all, by the way, did you notice that Luke doesn't just say the women anymore, he actually names them by name? Pretty significant to have your name listed in Scripture. Does the reaction of the the disciples, though, as they heard this message, surprise you? It should really shock us on the one hand, especially if you are familiar with Scripture and the life and ministry of Jesus. This should not have been a surprise to the disciples. They were the closest to Jesus, and Jesus had not made it uh, an accident. He had not withheld this information of what they were going to be experiencing. He had told them on a number of occasions, the Son of Man, I will go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. Check. I'm going to be handed over. Check. I'm going to suffer and die. Check. Oh, and then that last part, I will rise again. They should not have written off the women's message as nonsense. They should have said, well, duh, that's exactly what Jesus said would happen, ladies. Awesome, let's party. No. Skepticism on the part of the disciples. And I guess we can't really blame them because people don't rise from the dead. That doesn't happen. That's the stuff of fable and fiction and books and movies. So maybe you can relate to that skepticism. That too, much like fear, crosses party lines. I think that that these last several years have taught us that a lot of the things that we have placed our trust, a lot of the things that we have relied in, a lot of things that we have assumed to be true and reliable are not. And so we have all become skeptics, regardless of your political party. Who do you trust? What news station do you listen to? I don't trust either one of them, any of them. What do you know is fact? What is, what is not fact? We all do our research, but how do you know? And even science, this is science fact. Well, that's all well and good until somebody spins the science to support their view. Who do you trust? We are all skeptics. Understandably so. So the question is, where do you go from here? If if it's fear or if it's skepticism that is driving that feeling of defeatism, are you happy to just live that way the rest of your life? To be okay feeling defeated and allow fear to rule, allow skepticism to to allow you to not trust anything or anyone ever again? Or do you think there's a solution? I'm here to tell you there is a solution. There's a solution to both fear and skepticism, and we see it both in the women and in Peter. The women, to their fear, what's the solution? Remember. They were terrified, they had forgotten, and so what did the angel tell them? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on that third day be raised again 
Then they remembered his words. They remembered this was exactly how it was supposed to play out. Not only is this what Jesus himself had said, but as we heard in our first reading this morning from the prophet Isaiah, speaking 700 years before these events, the prophet Isaiah foreshadowed that these things would play out. And so they remembered Isaiah's words as well. In chapter 25 that we heard earlier, it says that Jesus will destroy this shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. Isaiah said this would happen. The angels just encouraged the women to remember it. In the face of their fears, remember God's promises. When we are uncertain of what the future holds, when we don't know what tomorrow or next week or next month holds, remember what God has done in the past. Remember the words of Isaiah. Remember the words of Paul that we heard in our other reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, who essentially rephrased the same words of Isaiah. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Remember those words. The promise is that, that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He died, he paid for your sins, but he rose again victorious. That means that your sin does not condemn you. That means that your sins are washed away and forgiven. That means there is no separation between God and man because of the risen Jesus Christ. Remember that in the face of your fear. And what of skepticism? What do you do in that scenario, in that case, if we are so skeptical about everything, not the least of which would be a resurrection account? I know that not everybody here buys into this stuff, and that's okay. You're here because somebody else dragged you here, brought you here, and the resurrection is not something you've ever entertained in your life. So if I might encourage you, in the face of skepticism, investigate. Do you notice that not everybody totally wrote off the words of the women. What did Jesus tell us, or what did Peter do after he heard the news of Jesus' resurrection? Luke describes his response in verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself, what had happened. Peter could have stayed with the other apostles. You know what happens when, when you do that, when you, you stick around with like-minded people? Then you just feed your skepticism. I don't believe this stuff. Those women, a bunch of nonsense about a resurrection. No, I don't believe it either. That's foolishness. Where are you going, Peter? I'm going to go check it out. I'm, I'm not going to sit here with you fools. I'm going to make my own decision. I'm going to investigate for myself. I'm not going to be spoon-fed what somebody else says. I'm going to look into the matter myself. And though you don't necessarily see it in this resurrection account, if you are unfamiliar with Peter's life from this point on, I'll fill you in on some of the details. And I encourage you to, to check in on them at, at a later point. Luke is one of the first books in the New Testament, the second part of, of the Bible. Shortly after Luke comes the book of Acts. And if you look at Peter described in the book of Acts, you see an entirely different Peter. You see a changed Peter. 
You don't see a skeptic any longer. But you see somebody who was absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt convinced that the message the women had relayed to him was absolutely true. And he staked his very life on it. Committed to preaching and proclaiming the message on which everybody's eternity hinges that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. And you can read it from his own words in First and Second Peter, also books of the Bible, where he relays his own conviction that this is, in fact, the truth. So investigate for yourselves. And if you're looking for a next step, I'm going to give you one, and I'm going to encourage the skeptics here to take me up on my invitation and offer. Not because it's about who's right and who's wrong, but you owe it to yourself to actually look into these things and see if there's some truth to what some claim is the most important message in the history of the world. A week from this Thursday starts a class where we dig into those promises that the women were encouraged to remember. And there's no strings attached in that class. We simply walk through the scriptures and, 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 and I help kind of say, this is what this book is all about. These are the teachings. These are the truths. And you're free to walk away and still conclude that it's all hogwash and a bunch of baloney. But you can do so with a clean conscience that at least you have investigated the matter. At least you have followed in Peter's footsteps and addressed that skepticism by investigating Something pretty neat will happen one way or the other when we address either our fear by remembering or our skepticism by investigating. God is able to turn defeat into victory. There was actually more to the message that was relayed across the English Channel. See, the weather was rather foggy and, and not all of the signal was received. And imagine the change of the people of England when they realized that message was incomplete, that it was not a message that said, Wellington defeated, but a message that said, Wellington defeated the enemy. See, defeat isn't such a bad thing, is it? You just have to be on the right side of it. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we have the assurance that all of those who, by faith in Christ Jesus, have the confidence and the assurance that you are on the right side of that victory. And that victory assures you that, that God's promises will overshadow your fear. That God's promises will, will help you deal with your skepticism. And that all of these things, as we remember, as we investigate, as we rejoice in the news of the resurrection, will help us see, as we'll look in the next Sundays throughout the season of Easter, the promises of victory for our daily lives.